series episode 7, Livia, and Imperial Intrigue. This episode is a continuation on the life of Livia and the Death of the Roman Republic series, focusing on notable women during the fall of the Roman Republic. If you're just starting the series here, I really recommend at least listening to the previous episode, Livia, First Empress of Rome, or, I don't know, go ahead and listen to the whole main series. Anyways, as a short summary where we left her, Livia had been living an insane life, marrying Octavian, the man who had become Augustus, and Rome's first de facto emperor. Livia married Octavian, despite him being a large reason her father committed suicide, and Octavian having prescribed her husband and exiling her family from Rome for a few years. Yet their marriage seemed quite successful, and Livia played her part well as Rome's first de facto empress. Publicly, she very successfully played the role of a supportive wife, which was very palatable for Rome's patriarchal society. Yet Livia could quietly influence her emperor's decisions. And while our girl Livia continued to live a charmed life as Rome's first de facto empress, there are many dark moments that she had yet to endure. Worth noting at the top of this episode is that while Livia didn't know it, the most dangerous, most likely time she would have been killed in her life was past her at this point. This episode is going to focus a lot on events that Livia would have witnessed and had some role in being conflicts within the Julio-Claudian dynasty. It's not going to include Livia's perspective on big grand battles in the early days of the Roman Empire and Pax Romana, because that wasn't really Livia's life. Her life did include drama within the imperial family, so her perspectives and actions, limited or otherwise in these events, will be the main focus of this episode. This next part somewhat pains me to say because I'm a big Augustus ex Livia stan, but as much as Augustus may have loved Livia and how valuable a mind she was to him, Augustus was not totally faithful to her. It's basically certain that Augustus cheated on her throughout their relationship, as written by Anthony A. Barrett in Livia, First Lady of Imperial Rome. According to Dio, Livia claimed her influence over Augustus lay in her willingness to concede to whatever he wished, not meddling in his business and pretending to not be aware of any of his sexual affairs. Tacitus reflects on this when he calls her an accommodating wife. She clearly understood that to achieve any objective, she had to avoid any overt conflict with her husband. It would do a disservice to Livia, however, to create the impression that she was successful simply because she yielded. She was a skillful tactician who knew how to manipulate people, often by identifying their weaknesses or ambitions, and she knew how to conceal her own feelings. Augustus felt that he controlled her, and she doubtless was happy for him to think so. While it was a norm among Roman aristocrats, especially men, and Livia would not be the first wife to turn a blind eye, I do wonder that if Livia had not tolerated affairs by Augustus, if he would have divorced her and found a more accommodating wife. And man, I like Augustus, and I can excuse being a warlord and shadow monarch, but I draw the line at adultery. Fascist! A fascist is a fascist! Being with Augustus and excusing infidelity, Livia was afforded the most magnificent life of any Roman woman, even if she had to be modest about it. One example of this is Egypt. Augustus had taken the rich kingdom of Egypt as his personal province and profit machine, and part of that land and profits would go to his wife Livia, with parts of Egypt explicitly in Livia's name. Despite marrying at the age of 20 and 24, Livia and Augustus never had children of their own, though Livia did have a miscarriage or stillbirth. Livia's only biological children were Tiberius and Drusus, who were the children of her first husband. While their stepfather Augustus was kindly towards them, the emperor seemed to favor his nephew, Octavius' son Marcellus, who had his own blood. 
You might not have my name, but you have my blood. Marcellus was the first in a pattern of Augustus's rule, wherein male family members got a significant boost in politics by one, being associated with Augustus, the most important man in Rome, and two, being allowed to run for political offices and gain experience at a younger age than others. Additionally marking him out, Marcellus was married to his cousin, Augustus's daughter Julia, in 25 BCE when they were teenagers. What you trying to say to me? Marrying his nephew to his daughter showed just how much esteem Augustus had for his nephew. We will watch your career with great interest. Yet Marcellus would die in 23 BCE from a plague that was sweeping through Rome. The physician who saved Augustus's own life could not save his nephew, who would have been only 19 or 20 years old. Octavia, Marcellus's mother and Livia's sister-in-law, grieved very publicly for her son. She also served as a diminutive symbol in Augustus's new empire, although after Marcellus's death, she was much more withdrawn from the public eye. Livia began to fill that role. And here we get into Livia's big reputation, big reputation. Ooh, you and, and Citation 1 as Livia as a serial poisoner. And you heard about me. Ooh, I got some big there is speculation that Olivia was behind the young Marcellus' demise, that she poisoned him so that her sons Tiberius and Drusus would be groomed by Augustus and next in the line of succession. The ancient historian Seneca wrote that Octavia despised Livia after this, since Augustus' power would now pass to her sons and not the deceased Marcellus. This would not be the last speculation that Livia may have killed off members of the imperial family to advance her hidden ambitions, and it's given her a poisonous reputation throughout history. Yet the popular modern thought today is that Livia was not involved in any shadowy assassinations. The deaths associated around Livia have perfectly adequate explanations without poisoning, like Marcellus dying in a literal plague in Rome. Additionally, Livia's supposed scheming and killing family members quite occasionally backfired. After the death of Marcellus, next up to be raised up by Augustus was his best friend Agrippa, and not Livia's children Tiberius and Drusus. We will watch your career with great interest. Agrippa, now aged 42, would be the next man to marry the now 18-year-old Julia, which is not the grossest age difference mentioned on DOTRR. Livia's sons Tiberius and Drusus did have warm relationships with their stepfather Augustus and would eventually rise to prominence. Now, this next section of the pod is going to look at drama in the imperial family and particularly the actions of Livia's eldest son Tiberius and crises in succession, because these various events would have large implications on Livia's life. Livia's son Tiberius would be marked with Augustus's favor when he was married to Augustus's only daughter and his stepsister, Julia, after Julia's second husband, the aforementioned Agrippa, died in 12 BCE. Of course, Tiberius was already married and had a child with Agrippa's daughter, Vipsania. The two would be divorced to serve the imperial family's greater interests. Tiberius marrying his stepsister signified his significance to Augustus. We will watch your career with great interest. Yet, Tiberius didn't want this. I don't want it. Tiberius cared deeply for his first wife, Ipsania, who was pregnant with their second child when they were divorced. Post-divorce, when Tiberius saw her, he apparently started pursuing her with tears in his eyes. They can watch me, watch them watch me Apparently, steps were taken so that Tiberius would not see her again, although I don't know how literal that is meant. 
And while you might expect that Livia was the singular puppet master in this union, arranging this marriage that made her son the de facto crown prince of the de facto Roman Empire, there's no historical proof that Livia had any input on this, not that she would have a hard time convincing her husband that Tiberius was the best man for the job. Thinking about this logically, and the list of men that Augustus trusted, his stepson was a natural third in line as a successor, after his deceased nephew and best friend. Augustus recognized that Tiberius was a capable political administrator and very decent military commander. Sure, Livia probably had some influence in arranging this, but she would have been preaching to the choir at that point. Anyway, Tiberius and Julia's marriage went great. Oh, hold on, my notes are upside down. <clears throat> Tiberius and Julia's marriage was terrible. I mean, it started out okay, but the two grew to absolutely despise each other, trapped in a marriage that neither wanted. Augustus also believed that Roman morals were faltering, and thus passed laws to punish immorality. And yet, the immorality was... Coming from inside the house. You hear me? It's coming from inside the house. As mentioned in Livia's last episode, Julia was very much her father's daughter. As a young man, Augustus was notorious for his immoral, not-so-secret affairs, and that family trait seems to have been inherited by Julia. Among her many lovers was Mark Antony's son, Iulius Antonius, who had been raised by Octavia. Julia would be exiled from Rome in 2 BCE for the rest of her life, and Tiberius got the greatest piece of mail he could ever receive from Augustus that he had been divorced from Julia. Before Julia's exile, in 9 BCE, Tiberius's brother and Livia's youngest son Drusus would die quite prematurely at 29 years old. Like his brother, Drusus also enjoyed an accelerated political career courtesy of his stepfather, and was quite popular and successful in the Roman armies. He had been invading into German territory when tragedy befell him. Having broken his thigh after a horse toppled over him, The cowgirl has chosen her saddle. <laughs> Drusus's health declined over the course of a couple weeks. Tiberius was in northern Italy at the time, and rode swiftly to be with his brother, and was able to be with him when he passed. Like in the death of Marcellus, while there was a perfectly reasonable explanation for the death of the young Drusus, Romans still gossiped as to who may have actually assassinated the popular young man. Livia was not accused of killing her own son, yet it was speculated that Augustus or Tiberius may have had reasons to eliminate him. Although realistically, it would be kind of hard for either of them to arrange for a horse to fall on Drusus. But like all of Rome, the imperial family grieved the loss of Drusus. Augustus gave his stepson a very lavish send-off, yet as you may imagine, it was Livia and Tiberius who were most affected by Drusus's death. As Anthony A. Barrett writes, The event provides one of the few glimpses of Livia's private emotions. She was crushed by the death and sought comfort from the philosopher Arius. She was ahead of her time in her use of what would now be called a grief counselor. Arius was basically a Stoic, but kept an open mind to other schools and ideas, the kind of eclectic pragmatism that the Romans found appealing. On his advice, she uncharacteristically opened herself up to others. She put pictures of Drusus in public and private places and encouraged her acquaintances to talk about him. But she managed a respectable level of grief, which elicited admiration. Livia's composure in her grieving and commitment to her symbolic role in Rome contrasted against Octavia losing Marcellus prematurely. 
While Octavia became withdrawn after Marcellus's passing, Livia more appropriately grieved in the court of public opinion and was thus praised. I clapped, I clapped when I saw it. In the following two years, Tiberius continued his brother's military campaigns in German territory and received greater honors and responsibilities. And for all that work and all those honors... I had a lot of time to think, all right? And you know what I realized? I'm burned out. At 36 years old, Tiberius sought to throw it all away and retired from a life of public service on the Greek island of Rhodes. What am I doing? I am blowing Dodge. I'm getting out of town. Whatever you call it, I am running away from my responsibilities. Arm feels good. Livia and Augustus were both very caught off guard and upset that the prince of the empire sought to abdicate all responsibilities. Augustus was enraged and betrayed that his stepson, who he invested so much time and trust in, was going to let his life's work bringing peace, freedom, justice, and security to my new empire fall apart. While they were not biologically linked, through letters, Augustus seemed quite fond of Tiberius, now betrayed that the boy he raised up was now turning his back on him. Livia begged her son to change his mind, but Tiberius staunchly refused. Tiberius spent four days on hunger strike before Augustus finally relented and accepted Tiberius's retirement. As far as why Tiberius would abandon the glory and power, I honestly think it's a miracle that Tiberius worked for Augustus for so long. In the most dramatic, anti-Augustan terms, Augustus prescribed and terrorized Tiberius' family when he was a boy. Augustus stole his mother away from his true father. Augustus obliterated Tiberius' marriage to the only woman he ever loved, and Augustus sent Tiberius to do his dirty work around the empire. And for all of this, Tiberius could expect to one day become Augustus and inflict misery upon others. This retirement of Tiberius caused a succession crisis. Augustus was not a young man when Tiberius quit on him. The princeps was 57 years old and had suffered notable health problems even as a young man. Men like Agrippa, Marcellus, and Drusus were dead, experienced adults that Augustus had trusted and could have taken the reins from him when his time came. Augustus had his grandsons like Gaius, Lucius, and Agrippa Postumus, and Livia's grandson Germanicus, yet they were all children. Gaius was 14, Lucius 11, Germanicus 9, and Agrippa Postumus 6. Should the 57-year-old Augustus croak anytime soon, or even within the decade, this generation of imperial men would likely have little to no political experience before taking up his mantle, and the Roman Empire could fall into chaos once more, just like the death throes of the Roman Republic Augustus emerged from. This is blood for blood and for the gallons. This is the old days, and the bad days, the all or nothing days. Yet, there was nothing that Livia or Augustus could seemingly do, but wait. Their hope was that there would be time for their grandchildren to garner enough experience in Octoritas to someday rule in their own right before time would take Augustus. Tiberius would seemingly regret his self-imposed exile, and a few years later would occasionally ask Augustus to return to Rome, which the emperor bitterly refused. If Livia tried to convince Augustus otherwise, she failed for years on end. However, in 2 CE, Augustus finally relented to Tiberius' desire to return to Rome, yet Tiberius was still officially retired and not involved in politics, which would quickly change. In 2 CE, Augustus was now 64 years old, and his grandsons Gaius and Lucius had been enjoying accelerated political and military careers. 
Yet the 18-year-old Lucius would die from an illness in Spain. A mere 18 months later, Augustus's eldest grandson Gaius died at 23 years old from a wound he had sustained while fighting in Armenia. Augustus was in his mid-60s and was down to an 18-year-old Germanicus and a 15-year-old Agrippa Posthumus. And... Tiberius was 44 years old and had plenty of experience in politics and military command. Augustus, likely with the advice of Livia, would once again allow Tiberius back into his administration and furthermore adopt Tiberius as his son. Tiberius accepted the adoption and the responsibilities that came with it. Livia's son was now named Tiberius Julius Caesar and was soon given the same powers of the princeps that Augustus had, which he would someday hold on his own. Augustus also adopted Agrippa Posthumus as his son, and Tiberius would adopt his nephew Germanicus. Tiberius also had his own son Drusus as well. And with that, the elderly Augustus could at last rest easy, that when he passed, the family business would be in good hands. He had a few years to guide Tiberius, who would in turn have years to guide the next generation. The line of succession was secure. Again, some ancient historians point a finger at Livia, who orchestrated the demise of Augustus's biological grandsons and thereby bringing Tiberius back into the front line of succession. But again, how Livia could have covertly poisoned these young men hundreds of miles away from her seems impossible because it is. But still, for some people, it's just more evidence that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world she didn't exist. Augustus and Tiberius' relationship seemed to have once again warmed, and Tiberius threw himself into the work of running the Roman Empire. Throughout this whole ordeal and succession crisis, Livia remained fairly publicly quiet, as was expected, as she had always done, and was very likely lobbying in her son's favor for years on end, first to return from his self-imposed exile, then for him to be allowed back into political life. How hard she lobbied is unknown, and her true intention, whether to advance her son, put forth the safest candidate to succeed her husband, or somewhere in between, is unknown. Augustus stubbornly refused Tiberius' return from exile for years, but in the end, they all ostensibly got what they wanted. Augustus had his heir. You're my boy. You're my number one boy. Tiberius seems to have come to the conclusion that this life was for him. This thing of ours. And Livia's family was once again unified and on the same page as it should be. Look at us. Hey, look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. There were a few more familial issues to deal with before the end of Augustus's life. Agrippa Posthumus, son of Augustus's best friend, had been his last living grandson and was now adopted as his own son. Yet Agrippa Posthumus had a dark reputation, with allusions to having a violent, crueler temperament, and was bad for the imperial family's brand, much less as a possible future princeps. Augustus went with Plan A, his time-honored tradition of exiling family members who disappointed him. You, get out of my sight. Agrippa Posthumus was 17 years old when he was first exiled near Naples, and Augustus would formally unadopt him and revoke his property rights. Oh my god. I am never going to financially recover from this. As one may expect, Agrippa Posthumus wasn't too happy with Granddad about this. Well... My grandpa gave my inheritance to Greenpeace, 
and then someone posted a comment on their website and it could contain a slight on my character and then Greenpeace promoted the comment and so my lawyer thinks that that's defamation so yeah that, that's how I'm trying to sue Greenpeace yet apparently made the not great decision to criticize Livia about this. In 7 CE, Augustus further exiled a group of posthumous near Corsica and under military guard. Augustus would formally tell the Senate of his grandson's depraved behavior. Thinking about this from the most cynical perspective set against Livia, which historians have done, she whispered poison in the ear of the aging Augustus, turning him against his grandson so that her own son Tiberius would be clear in the line of succession. That may have been Agrippa Postumus' specific complaint. But of course, looking at things more realistically, common Romans apparently knew Agrippa Postumus' dark reputation. Tiberius was decades older and more experienced than him and was very solidly heir apparent. And Augustus had watched the young Agrippa grow up and knew enough to be disappointed by him. That said, the story of Agrippa Postumus, Tiberius, and Livia isn't over yet. Julia the Younger, Agrippa Postumus' sister, was also giving Gramps a hard time. You morons! Well, no, because you need a supermajority well, in the well, only no, because I need a supermajority in the Much like her mother, Julia the Elder, in 8 CE, Julia the Younger was also exiled for the rest of her life for immoral behavior in Rome, that being... Like daughter, like mother, like father. Yet Livia showed a quality of mercy and would send allowances to her step-granddaughter for over 20 years until her death and 14 years after the death of Augustus. As noted by Anthony A. Barrett, Tacitus, an ancient historian, adopts a cynical view of Livia's philanthropy, claiming that she hypocritically labored to destroy Augustus's family while they flourished, then made a public display of her charity after they had been brought down. He does not say that Livia had anything to do with the younger Julia's actual downfall, but distorts her public display of charity into an insidious implication that she was somehow responsible. There's a serious logical gap in his argument. While there may have been a political advantage for Livia in putting people off the scent during Augustus' lifetime, if she had indeed been responsible for Julia's ruin, but why keep it up for a further 14 years after his death? Livia showed Julia a lot of compassion, whereas Augustus only gave his granddaughter bitterness. Like her mother, Julia the Younger never returned to Rome. Her ashes would not be interred in Augustus's mausoleum, and Julia's child born of adultery would not be raised in Augustus's household, but left in the wilderness to die, as was his legal right as head of household. That seems really dark. Livia's husband would pass a few years after these final banishments in 14 CE. He had been sailing around Italy when a final illness overcame him. He died in Nola, Italy, where his father died. Not Julius Caesar, the man whose name he used for over 56 years, but Gaius Octavius, an unremarkable politician whose son transformed world history. Livia was with him, as she had often done throughout his career and travels, which was uncommon for a politician or general's wife, but that was their dynamic. Tiberius had heard of his adoptive father's declining health and was apparently able to converse with Augustus before he passed. As I understand it, Augustus's truly final words were to Livia. Their relationship lasted over 50 years, falling hard and fast and recklessly getting married. But they survived every challenge they faced. Livia, in her early 70s, held her dying husband. He kissed her and said, Livia, remember our married life and farewell. My next mistake loves and thus 
When I asked the right historian like Tacitus, Olivia pulled off the greatest hit job in history. She had seduced the man that forced her father into suicide, who terrorized her as a young woman by prescribing her husband and stole her away from him. And after 50 years, Olivia finally had the opportunity to deliver Augustus, who had fallen into a false sense of security, poisoned figs. At 76, he was so old that none would be the wiser. He just died of old age. She can't keep getting away with it! Or, you know, the logical explanation that he was a 76-year-old old man. As already described in the DOTRR main series finale, Augustus had a lavish funeral, and expectedly, Tiberius became Rome's second de facto emperor. He had had the same powers as Augustus for a few years, and had the experience and respect to rule in his own right. Yet Olivia would outlive her husband by 15 years, and her life as the Dowager Empress would be far different than Empress Consort. In the immediate aftermath, Olivia was named a major beneficiary in her husband's will. She would get one-third of the majority of his estate, while Tiberius got two-thirds of the majority estate. Other beneficiaries acquired a lesser degree of wealth, including other family members, and money allotted to soldiers and to every citizen of the empire to set Tiberius off on the right foot with the goodwill of the army and common people. Like his adoptive father before him, Augustus was acknowledged as a god by the Roman Senate after his passing. Tiberius would add the title Didiphilius, or Son of God, to his name, a title that Augustus had also possessed. It's next to godliness. A temple would be duly constructed in Augustus's honor, and a priesthood would be created in charge of appeasing the god called the Sedales Augustales. Livia's grandson Germanicus would be the order's chief priest, yet Livia would very surprisingly be involved in her dead divine husband's cult. Huh? Yeah, the whole cult thing seems kind of weird, but the real weird thing was that, besides the Vestal Virgins, all major religious positions in Rome were held by men, so Livia participating in the cult's activities was a bit odd. Nonetheless, her involvement entitled her to a lictor, an attendant to official Roman magistrates like consuls and praetors. And if Livia becoming a quasi-priestess in Augustus's new cult wasn't odd enough for you, as part of the Julian penchant of adopting people posthumously in Augustus's will, he adopted his 73-year-old wife. Huh? So, the man that Livia had been calling daddy for so many years officially became- I- 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 I can't. No, I can't. I- Who writes stuff like this? Up until age 18, most women have a daddy keeping tabs on any man she goes out with. But once she gets bigger, daddy's no longer around. But danger still is. Livia was thereby adopted into the Julian family, and her name was now officially Julia Augusta. It's kind of unclear if contemporary Romans would have called her anything different, so we'll keep calling her Liv. This was, to be clear, basically unprecedented for a husband to posthumously adopt his wife, but then again, Augustus and Livia had basically been shooting from the hip for the entirety of Augustus's reign over the Roman Empire, as there was no precedent for ruling the Roman Empire. 
Being that Augustus is the man who planned his funeral before he died, he ensured that his will would be carried out and his wife would legally become his daughter and thus gain status independent from her marriage to him. Additionally, Tiberius was now a member of the Julian family, Augustus's family, Caesar's family, twice over, now that his mother was a Julian too. This apparently had symbolic weight to help ensure his power as princeps and the first transfer of power in the Roman Empire. The addition of Augusta to Livia's legal name had additional significance as it was quickly becoming associated with the Roman Emperor, as Tiberius was formally granted the name Augustus only after the first Augustus died. Although in 14 CE, the full implications of the title was not fully realized, the addition of Augusta to Livia's legal name didn't come with any of Augustus's powers, yet still held an informal weight and prestige. For all of Augustus's good intentions, as described by Anthony A. Barrett, the nature of this change was not spelled out precisely, and its consequent ambiguity laid the foundation for major confrontation between mother and son over their respective roles in this new order. Ultimately, they failed to reach a modus operandi, and the constitutional tension, if anything, grew more serious as the reign progressed. The problem was Augustus's doing, and it arose from his attempt after his death to grant Livia what he had denied her during his lifetime, a form of institutional status. Livia's new status would sow discord between mother and son. I, I mean, sister and brother. God, this is confusing. The Senate and Livia understood Augustus's intentions to be directed to one end, Tiberius saw them quite differently. The Senate voted in favor of creating an altar of adoption for Livia, literally cementing a monument to Livia's adoption by Augustus. This apparently wasn't too big of a deal and would be more commemorative than a place of worship. But nonetheless, it showed their full-throated support of Livia's adoption, whatever the implications may be. They even voted to name her Mater Patriae, Mother of the Country. Excuse me? Excuse me? Excuse me? Mommy? Sorry. Mommy? Sorry. Mommy? Sorry. Mommy? Sorry. Mommy? As Augustus had been Potter Patriae, father of the country, Tiberius was similarly offered the title of Potter, but he denied the titles for both himself and Livia. We don't do that here. So, in a post-Augustus Roman Empire, Livia was set up with some ill-defined power independent of her marriage and still had a lot of money and informal political weight from her 50-plus year marriage to Augustus. And as her son Tiberius took up the mantle of princeps, the de facto Roman emperor, she was thus the de facto dowager empress. And while I had said that the life of Livia would be covered in two parts, given that I am only halfway through my script for Livia part two, I held a vote on Twitter. Would my followers prefer one big episode or two smaller episodes? The people voted for two smaller episodes. So you are listening to the conclusion of part one of these two smaller episodes, and so the real final finale will be the next one. While most events in this episode have been talked about in previous DOTRR episodes in some capacity, I hope you enjoyed a review of information from Livia's perspective. To keep this ending brief, I apologize for being gone for so long. Uh, I was feeling burnt out on work as a teacher and even DOTRR stuff but the gap between this episode's release and part three's release will not be several months long.
If you would like to engage with the show on Twitter, as some of you did for voting, you can follow the show at D-O-T-R-R-Pod for some okay content. And if you could drop a rating on something like Apple Podcasts, that'd be appreciated too. Finally, I am sure some of you realized a severe uptick in Taylor Swift samples this episode. I want to give a thank you and shout out to some friends on Twitter, Mia and Liv, who sent me a lot of great recommendations of songs to use that could apply to moments in Livia's life. You can follow Mia on Twitter at Obscenarity, and you can follow Liv at Catboy Catalina on Twitter. They're both great follows, and links to them will also be in the show notes. With all that said, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show, and see you in the part three finale on Livia's life. Oh.